What a beautiful song that was. I, I've heard that one before, but it's been a long time, and uh, I just want to say that that speaks to what we're talking about today, doesn't it? We're talking about fellowship, being a new community of faith, and what it means that we would love each other and strive side by side together for the gospel, because that's really the goal of all this, isn't it? Uh, it's really that we are here for God's purposes and for God's kingdom, to worship and to serve together. And that's why we are doing this today. We're going to be doing a couple of things. Uh, you will recall from a couple of weeks ago, we saw some 3,000 people became believers on the first day of, or the day of Pentecost. So the very beginnings of the brand new church. And instead of strife and disunity and arguing back in Acts chapter 2, what we found is they had a great sense of unity together. They were serving together. They were meeting from house to house. But they committed themselves to four, and I kind of expanded to five things. Uh, so number one, they gave themselves what we studied last week, the teaching of the Word. Number two was fellowship, and we're going to tie that in perhaps with number three, the breaking of bread. That is, they were meeting from house to house, having meals together. And uh, by the way, let me go ahead and stop and say this. Um, I mentioned this in Sunday school too, and uh, we had breakfast in Sunday school this morning. It was really good. And if you weren't here Wednesday, you missed a great gumbo, thanks to uh, Mr. Leon and Miss Linda and quite a few others that were here volunteering this week. And uh, so what I want to say is fellowship is certainly more than food. And we're going to talk about what fellowship means this morning. But it does include food. And so I was very, very thankful this week that we had a lot of good times with good food and a lot of laughter, a lot of family, just being family together, just enjoying one another's company. And so I'm very thankful for that. But they gave themselves to the word, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and then to prayer, and then evangelism. And so each week we've been going back through one of these, went through the word last week. Uh, this week we're going to do fellowship. And so we're talking about us coming together as believers, identifying together as a new family, a new community. We're closely associated together with one another. We have mutual goals and mutual interests, and we participate in, those, in this community to carry out the purposes of the church. And so we strive together, we work together like the song that we were just singing. But the probably overwhelming sense of fellowship is what that song also said. How are they going to know us? And it's supposed to be by our love for Christ and our love for one another. That love should always tie us together in fellowship. So we're going to look at two things, though, uh, as part of this this morning. Number one, how do you get into this fellowship? How do you join the new community of faith? Well, we know that that is through, first through our relationship with Jesus. We first come into fellowship with him. But second part of that is we're going to go into Philippians chapter 2 and see what our relationships need to look like as part of this fellowship. In other words, how do we interact with one another? How should we think about one another? But before we do that, I, I want to just go back and tell you a quick story, okay? So I've seen firsthand in my life believers who were right on the edge of faith. That is, they were thinking, you know, I really want to believe this. I think I do believe it, but I realize it's going to cost me everything if I say I believe this. Uh, you see them, both believers that say, you know, I'm right on the edge of faith. I really want to do it. You have others that, that will come right to the edge and say, I believe it, but I just can't give myself to it because they were in a country that was 99.9% .9 Muslim. 
and they knew that their family would be upset, that they would have major consequences. And uh, I've mentioned this man before, but uh, he was an insurance salesman, and he always came to our men's Bible studies. Sometimes he would come to our house church, but he would never make the commitment to make his faith public. Essentially, what he was doing is saying, you know, I believe this, but I'm not going to get baptized because I don't want my family to know that I'm a Christian. And what we would find is you had two types of believers or two types of people that would come to this point. One group would finally say, you know what? Jesus is worth the cost. And they would give, they would make their confession known. And what would happen is their families would sometimes reject them. They would go through hard times. Usually six months later, a year later, those relationships would normalize as their family realized they weren't some crazy people like they thought. But they would end up being strong in the faith because they took a stand and was willing to accept the cost and say, you know what, we're going to join this community of faith. But those that would say, you know what, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to keep it a secret. What would eventually happen is they would just walk away. They wouldn't commit. And so over time, they were the, the seed that was there was planted and it grew up with the cares of this world just, just took it away. And so we see that that happens sometimes. And this man, I remember he would come to our Bible studies and he told me, look, my wife is a Muslim, okay? She comes from a conservative family. I come from a conservative family. Uh, I already know that if I tell her I'm a Christian, she will divorce me and take my children. And he may have been right. The, and then he came and said, you know, I'm, a, I'm an insurance salesman. And so here's what I know. All of my clients, everybody just about that comes into my business, are connected to my family or from the village that we all lived in before we moved into the big city. And my own family will go to all my clients and say, don't do business with that man anymore because he's left Islam. And so he had to count the cost. And unfortunately, as far as I know today, he's probably still counting the cost. And, and that is if he even remembers. Because he was never willing to take that step. And you say, well, pastor, that sounds kind of harsh. I mean, that's a big cost, isn't it? It really is. But many would choose to take that step. And can you imagine what they would need if, if they suddenly left everything they knew and lost family connections and even business connections? You know what they needed? Fellowship. You know what they needed? Family. A new family. And to help them weather the storm until their natural family began to accept them again. To help them to grow in the faith. To help them to understand what love was supposed to be like. And that's where the early church was in Acts. If you think about it, it was very similar. They were leaving everything they knew. They would soon get cast out of the synagogues. And what they needed was family. And so it says they committed themselves, gave themselves to fellowship. And so that's where we are this morning. Uh, you don't have to turn here, but let, I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. And then we're going to get back into Philippians. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says this. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So first and foremost, this new community of faith, this faith that we are all in, this family that we're in, we're all originally brought in by our faith in Christ. What that verse in 1 Corinthians 
1 9 said is God is faithful and he has brought you into fellowship not with each other although that's coming but he's first brought you into fellowship with Jesus Christ that's first Corinthians 1 9 if you want to read that for yourself so here's what that means before time began you had God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit they were there they had perfect fellowship with one another that's what the scripture teaches us by the way and so we know that the eternal God was content and happy. And, and guess what? He decided to bring you and me into fellowship with his son, Jesus. So that now, not only do you have a family relationship with one another, but it begins by when you place your faith in Christ, you get that same relationship with him. In other words, in 1 Corinthians 1.9, he says, you have fellowship with the very creator of the universe. You can talk with him. Speak with him. He loves you. He cares for you. And all that is we find just by that simple truth that we have fellowship with him. Entrance into this fellowship, this close relationship with God, comes through saving faith in Christ. What do we call that when someone uh, gives their life and confesses, says, I have faith in Jesus and asks to be saved? We might call it salvation. You might call it the good news. You might call it the gospel, right? Well, if you look back, go ahead and turn into Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Says, Paul says this, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He starts this letter off by saying, you know what? I give thanks to each of you today or for you why because of your participation in the gospel that word participation is fellowship it's the same word my bible has just translated participation you have fellowship in the gospel in the good news you have come by faith you've been baptized you've been saved all these things have happened and now you have fellowship with god and you're participating in the gospel and soon we're going to discover we have fellowship with one another and Paul is giving thanks for this. Uh, but I like that they translated participation. Do you know why? When we have fellowship, we have mutual goals, things that we work towards. We have participation in it because we are active in the fellowship. right? We actively believe. We actively have been saved. Well, I guess that's passive because we've been saved. Uh, because he did the saving, but nevertheless, we are now working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are continuing to participate in this new community and with God. Now, we've been brought into this new kingdom, and you guys know that that's part of why we have church membership. Let me ask you this. Have you ever found the word church membership in the Bible? You don't find it. So why is it that we keep a record of who's in the church and who's not in the church well part of this is because we want real fellowship and fellowship means listen we have believed it we've come in we have fellowship with christ and automatically because you have fellowship with christ you are supposed to be part of the fellowship of the body and this the salvation is the entry point you you have given your faith and so now suddenly you're supposed to be part of a church, not just the universal church, but a local church to identify as a church together. Because we do that so that we can serve together, so that we can be part of the kingdom work of uh, the kingdom work that God has us 
has for us. In other words, he didn't just call us just to sit here. He didn't just call us to eat. He gave us purposes that we would come together for worship, that we would come together to serve the the community, that we would come together to mostly glorify God with our lives and our purposes and all the things that we do at the church. And so we have a sense of identity because of our new relationship with Jesus that we are now part of a community. We recognize that. And the early church knew it. Now, here's what I want you to do. Turn into turn to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to ask, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning? Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 1. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So as we think about fellowship, all right, entry is through faith. You get saved, you're supposed to suddenly become part of a fellowship. You're supposed to become part of God's church. And listen, there's a lot of people watching at home right now, some people that for circumstances outside their control cannot join us on Sunday morning. But church, I'm just going to say this, that is not the way it's meant to be for everyone. And I think that we are in a crucial stage uh, in America where we are learning, not just America, but across the world, as a lot of people have said, you know what, online church is good enough for me. And I want to ask you, as we read this passage today and we think about what fellowship means, ask yourself if you can do that just online. You ever heard someone say, well, you know, I I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And we know people that have been there, and some of us have been there. And I'm telling you this morning that you can be a Christian and not come to church, but you cannot be a faithful Christian and not be a part of a local body of believers. And so I just want to say that this morning. Let's get that out of the way. But what I want us to talk about for the rest of our time is as we are part of this fellowship, because you're already here, and I thank God for you. I thank God that for your participation, participation in the gospel since you believed until now, and that some of you are continuing. Uh, long, you've been a Christian and believing and being in this church longer than I've been alive. And I praise God for that. Uh, so here's what I want to do. We're going to talk about what our relationship should look like. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what he's, Paul's given us. He's going to give us four if-then statements. You guys know what an if-then statement is? All right. It's not necessarily, we just want, if this, if this is true, then 
there's a consequence or something you're supposed to do at the end, right? So what he's going to do is give them four if-then statements. If each of these things are true in your life, then here's what I want you to do, which, by the way, is make my joy complete, is what he's going to get. If these things are true, make my joy complete, and he's going to explain that. But here's what we have these four if-then statements. But the way Paul wrote them, we know that he's assuming the if-then statements are true. In fact, this is just a rhetorical device. He's just reminding them, hey, these things are true. Each one of these statements are true in your life. Therefore, here's what you need to do. And so I want us to read it that way this morning. Number one, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ. Well, let me ask you, church, this morning. Is there encouragement from being found in Christ? Yes. The answer is yes. We're united to him. You know what that means, that we are together in Christ? And I I don't even just mean like we're all together in Christ. I mean your relationship with Christ, your fellowship with him. You get to commune with the Father. But not just that, not just do you get that. Here's what you get. You share in his life. He didn't sin. You share in his death. He died on the cross for you. And you share in his resurrection. And you say, well, I haven't been raised yet. Well, it's coming, right? That that promise is guaranteed. So are you encouraged by the fact that all of your sin has been taken care of? Are, Are you encouraged by the fact that Christ has done all this for you because he cares for you, that you get all the benefits of his sinless life, his death, and his resurrection? He just taught them that to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you go back and look in Philippians, you don't have to turn back in chapter 1, but Paul tells them, look, to live is Christ. As long as I'm here, I'm going to glorify God with my life, but to die is gain. To die is better. And he's, so is that encouraging for us? I certainly hope it is. Uh, not only that, if you go back and, uh, well, let's, we'll go back, but that should uplift the spirit. You know, encouragement also can mean more than one thing. Encouragement can have a meaning of comfort. Are you comforted by the fact that you are united with Christ? You're together with Him. Are you comforted? But you know what? You can also encourage somebody to do someone, kind of prod them, spur them on, give them a little incentive or motive. And you know, we're also encouraged that way. And, and so in some ways, what Paul is saying is, listen, if you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if you are found in Him, I want to encourage you to get on with the business and what he's going to call them to do is i want you to strive together with one mind to be unified i want you to have true fellowship with one another to love one another and care for one another and so he's encouraging them to do that we are not alone in this jesus himself is with us right now you are united together with him the second if then statement is if there's any comfort in love my version says consolation of love it's just comfort in love. Are you comforted this morning because all the love of God is aimed at you? You know, we used to be objects of God's wrath, according to the scripture, that we were deserving of death, but now because you're united with Christ, guess what? That's gone. The penalty for your sin has been wiped out. You've been reconciled to God, and He loves you. And so we are supposed to be comforted by that, but it's not just the love of God towards us, it is also the love that we have within the fellowship. If there is consolation of love, if you go back and look at Philippians 1.8, Paul speaks of his love of the Philippians. If you look back at Philippians 1.9, nine, 
Paul prays that their love would continue to increase. One of the prayers that he has is, I just want you to continue to increase in love of God and love of one another. That's something that we should continue to pray for each other. I pray that as I I think about our church, I've prayed it as I've come in this week preparing this message. I want there to be love in this community. It's the song that we sang this morning, and it's easier said than done. He wants to spur them on to continue with the same love for one another, just as Christ loves them. The third if-then statement, if this is true, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. Here's what I want you to know there. We already saw in the text we have fellowship with Christ. That was in 1 Corinthians 1.9. Now we see that we also have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That the Godhead, the Trinity, has fellowship with His people. He has a relationship with us. You know, lots of religions believe that God is transcendent. He's so great, so mighty, that He would never deem to care about Stephen. He would never wonder what's going on in Haley's life. He would never ask you questions. He would never want you to talk to him because he's not listening. But the God of the Bible is not that way. The God of the Bible has fellowship with us. That the Spirit himself dwells inside of God's people. That he is here in this service right now. He may be speaking to you. He may be using the word to draw out something in your life. But the Holy Spirit is here. And not only that is in each one of us in this fellowship. So we have fellowship with the Spirit, and we have fellowship through the Spirit. We have fellowship together because we are all found in Him. We have this new community together because the Spirit of God dwells in us. The fourth one, so if there is encouragement in Christ, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and you have it, if any affection and compassion. Now affection is an interesting word here in the text. Anybody reading King James this morning? We've got we to have a few. All right, I see one in the back. It says, there the translation is, if you have any bowels and mercies. And somebody's saying, bowels? What, what do you mean, like, like intestines and things? Well, yeah, that's exactly what it says. And you're wondering, well, what in the world is that? What does that mean, Pastor? I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Well, if you have any bowels and mercy this morning. I hope we all have those, but uh, here's, what it, here's what it means. You guys ever heard bad news and it felt like somebody kicked you in the stomach? You just feel it right in the pit of your stomach. Or maybe you're, you get really good news, or maybe you fall in love for the first time and you get butterflies in your stomach. Anybody ever had that? Right? Are those actual butterflies in your stomach? I hope not. I hope, you, I hope there's not butterflies in your stomach. But here's what we learn to speak about that because we know the emotions are tied into our body, aren't they? And sometimes we feel the emotions in our stomach. And so when they wrote this, that's what they meant. They mean your emotions, your affections, but they wrote it bowels because that's how they described it. Uh, you, you get stressed out enough and suddenly you're, you're taking all kind of medication to help your stomach those are real things and it's all tied together Uh, but listen uh, again I hope none of you think that we actually get butterflies in our stomachs but here's here is the the if-then statement if you have any affection emotions care and compassion for one another 
then here's what I want you to do. If all those things are true, here's what we want you to do. Now, a church should have real emotions for one another, shouldn't they? It's hard to do that if you don't know each other, though, isn't it? I was thinking this morning uh, as I was driving here, actually, you know, it's so easy to just disconnect from people. Like, you get along with people that you don't care about that much. But who do you get in the most fights with and most real arguments? The people you love. Why? Because those are the people that you're willing to actually talk to and open up to. Because if you care for them, you actually have a relationship. And the people that you just keep on the outside, well, you don't have a real relationship with them, do you? And so the scripture's telling us, listen, you got to have real affection and emotions and care for one another. Listen to this verse. It's from 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. It says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that one who loves God should love his brother also. You hear what that said? So in Philippians, he's saying, if you have affection and love for, and compassion for one another. In 1 John, he's saying, listen, God loves you, so you need to love them. And the commandment is, if you love God, love your brother, care for them. We actually have to be connected to do that. I've got to know Mr. Lane's name. I had to think about it this morning. I have to know who you are, and you have to know me, and we can't hide every hardship that comes our way. We have to actually care for one another. So church, let me ask you this morning, do we have encouragement from being united with Christ? Do we have comfort from love, knowing that God loved us, loved us and that we should love our sisters and brothers in Christ? We do. Do we have fellowship with the Spirit? If you're a believer, you do. Do we have affection and compassion? I certainly hope that we do this morning. The answer to those must be yes, and if they are, we go and discuss what our relationships must be like in the fellowship of the church. Look down, uh, looking uh, back in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 2. Here's what he says, if those things are true, make my joy complete. And he's going to explain it by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. We'll stop there for a moment. Why does Paul say, make my joy complete by being like this? You ever seen friends or had friends that, that you love them both and they just can't get along? And they're just fighting. Maybe it's siblings that have just uh, turned away from each other. They haven't spoken in years. And when they do, it's all just arguing. And it, bring, it grieves you to see people you love in a state like that, doesn't it? You don't like it. And Paul says, listen, I don't want you guys to be grieved. I want you to be striving together for the gospel. I want you to be unified. So make my joy complete. I care about you. I want to see you guys working together in harmony. And that's what he's telling them. And so here he begins to give them some ideas. Here's how you can do this. And I've got to say this, churches, as the pastor, I urge you to make my joy complete by doing this. Because... My role here, what God has called me to do, is certainly to love you. And it's certainly to grieve when there's schisms and divisions and strife 
and arguing in a church. And again, I've been here so little time, so new here, that if those things are there, I don't even know them yet. And so I get to tell you, make my joy complete. Let's do this together by being exact, doing exactly what Paul tells us here in the text. Uh, number one, it says, be of the same mind. Then maintain the same love, be united in spirit, be intent on one purpose. If we're family together, if we're to bring glory to Christ at Forest Heights, we must be of the same mind. That means we set our mind on being like Christ and following his word. It means that we can have the same attitude of mind, the same way of thinking of, hey, I'm going to give my life to glorify God. And I'm going to look at my brothers and sisters as people that, I can, that are also trying to honor God, and I'm going to lift them up and encourage them and help them, and we're going to work together for the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that we are exactly alike. This isn't a cult, guys. It's, I don't just tell you what to do, and, and you say, yeah, I want to do that. It doesn't mean we always think the exact same idea about everything, but our attitude and how we approach the kingdom of God and the work of the church should be the same. And that's what's important here. We're gonna, he's going to come give us some more details about that in just a moment. But I like this translation. It says, to seek the same goal with a like mind. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing as a church? Not arguing. Not getting so involved in our own divisions and power plays and politics that we forget the work that Christ has called us to. Really, that's if you go back and uh, look at first, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he tells them, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What he's concerned about is, listen, I'm not there, but what I want to hear from you, what I want to hear about the church in Philippi, is that you guys are united and striving together for the gospel. That you're working for the kingdom of God, not stuck with all this arguing and everything else that can happen. So we have to work. And then it says that, it says we must work to maintain the same love, so we have the same attitude in mind, then the same love, even we don't feel like it. How many of you are married out there? Yep, and you love each other, I hope. We know love is a commitment, right? It is emotions. He did say earlier, he mentioned the affections and the, the compassion we need to have as we love one another. But isn't it also, I was just, I got to, had the privilege of officiating a wedding last weekend. And isn't that one of the things you talk about is, listen, emotions are great, but do you always feel that way? Men, I'll answer. Yeah, women either. I mean, there's days where you think, you know, this is hard. But that love is also the commitment to doing the right thing for that person. For seeking their good, isn't it? It's, there's, a, there's a deeper commitment uh, that, that's more than just emotion, but it does also include those emotions. They're supposed to maintain the same love. In verse 7, we're going to see that Christ displayed his love by being a servant, by humbling himself. The church, we must have a common commitment to love one another as Christ has loved us. 
That's hard, isn't it? But it's worth doing. And if it's not worth doing, then we don't have fellowship. If we can't figure out how to love us, how to love one another as Christ loved us, this isn't going to work. Here's what I mean. We were nasty people. We were sinners. Do we like that word? I don't like to apply it to myself, but I have to apply it to myself daily because I am a sinner. And you know how God showed his love for me while I was yet a sinner? He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. That's how he loved us. And so you got to look around and go, you know, there's some people I maybe just don't like. Well, we've got to work on that. We've got to learn to love one another and work together for the gospel. We learn, have to look past some of these things and love like Christ loved us. And if he can love me, he can love you. And that's, the, that's true for all of us. So in our fellowship, we must think, we must behave rightly. And how is that, you ask? Look at verse 3, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's hard, isn't it? So last week I mentioned sin almost always includes the sin of pride and selfishness. Sin points back to me and says, I'm going to do what I want to do, not what God has asked me to do. Sin pushes us back into me, myself, and I every time. And when we begin to look at this, the, the idea of, you know what that could do to a church? It can destroy it if I make the church about what I want and not what, about what God wants. If I make the church about me, and so he begins to direct, well, how are we supposed to respond to each other? How are we supposed to love one another? How are we supposed to act towards one another? We're supposed to humbly regard one another as more important than ourselves. And then how does that happen? Verse 4 says, don't look out for your own interests, just your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, some of you are going, now, how, what in the world, Pastor, am I supposed to consider others as better than myself? That doesn't sound right, does it? Well, one, it doesn't actually say better. It says consider them as more important. That you're placing their needs above your own. And the, the beauty of this is if we do it right, everybody is doing that for one another. And so you're saying, well, how, shouldn't I be looking out for my own needs? Well, they're looking out for your needs, too. Because we're supposed to be considering the interests and the personal interests of others and how to make them better, how to love them, to seek their good, not just our own. Uh, it's a change of mindset so that instead of living selfishly, we can live selflessly. Instead of living for ourselves, we can put ourselves to the side a little bit. It's called humility, isn't it? To understand who you are rightly in God's plan. And to be able to put aside rights and privileges and say, you know what, I have the right to do this and say this and act this way, but I'm going to put that aside for the betterment of my neighbor. That's a tough message. And it's, it's a lot easier said than done because on those hard days, those days where somebody rubs you the wrong way, that's when you don't want to seek their interests. You don't want to help them out. That's when you look into self and go, this is what I want, this is what's best for me, and I'm going to do it. We might not put it in those words when we talk to ourselves, but that's what we mean. 
It is humility to recognize our standing before God is the same as that of our brothers and sisters. We are all valuable in his eyes. We are sinners saved by grace and by grace alone. Yes, we're valuable in God's sight, but so are they. If you were to look down and further in Philippians 2, we won't go to this verse today. Later, it's going to talk about other people that it says they seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. That if you look down in the text, um, he wants to send someone there to Philippi. We didn't have anybody else. He said, I just got to send Timothy to you shortly. Why? Because guess what? I don't have anybody else to send because they're all looking out for their own interests. In other words, he was a missionary going, I need to support that church and help that church. I need someone to send. And most of the Christian workers were seeking their own interest. And they, he didn't even have anybody to send. And so he's, we see that it's so easy to get wrapped up in ourselves. But church, may it not be so. May it not be that way for us. Make my joy complete by being united, working together toward the same goals, the interests of Jesus, and not selfishly trying to get our way all the time. Church, I'm telling you, it will destroy a church. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 4. It says, Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It, isn't that the opposite of the humility we're supposed to display in our fellowship? To brag and to be arrogant, to think it's about me, to think that I can do it and not Christ can do it through us, that we're not doing it together. Love doesn't do that. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it says, Love does not seek its own. Love doesn't put itself on the pedestal and say, I'm just seeking what I want this morning. Christ, we must let selfishness die. Selfishness has to die in our fellowship. No, let's strike that. That's too passive. We have to put the sin of selfishness and arrogance to death. We have to kill it. Because if we are actively fighting against selfishness, it's always going to come back up. So we can't just let it die. We have to kill it. And I guarantee you, if you begin to examine your life, examine your motives, even myself, there are times where I can realize and, and notice, hey, you know what? I didn't do that for the right reason. Sometimes, even when I'm right, my motives can be wrong. Selfishness can rear its ugly head at any moment. We have to examine it, have the right behavior and the right attitude. Now, as we get ready to kind of wrap this up here, I thought a lot about a good illustration for this. What could we look at? What, was there a good story to tell of how this is how we should act? This is how we should behave? Is there a good example? But the text gives us the best illustration of this. I want you to look down at verse 5. He's talking about the attitude that we're supposed to have inside this fellowship, inside this new community of faith. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. First of all, you hear what he says there? God, Jesus was God, but he didn't come and lord it over it. He didn't come seeking his own glory, which is strange in a way. And then and you look, continue on there. It says that uh, not only did he exist in the form of God, but in verse 7 it says, He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant or a slave, and being found in the likeness of men. 
Jesus, the eternal God, the agent of all creation who was there speaking and doing the work in the beginning, Jesus emptied himself and left the glory of heaven and he found himself in a body just like yours. I'm getting a little bit older and sometimes, uh, well, about a couple months ago, I decided, you know, it's time to go back to the gym. And I went and I did a full body workout. I thought this would be great. And I hurt for the next two weeks. <laughs> Jesus took on a body like this with all of his weaknesses and with all of his frailties. And that's what he did for you. And then it goes on and says, and being found like this, as he found himself like a man, being found in appearance as a man, this is verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remember I said we got to love each other like Christ loved us? Think about how Jesus thought about each of us. Because when he died on that cross, he was thinking of you. And here's what he did. He said, you know what? I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to put their needs over my own. If Jesus can put aside selfishness, when he's the only one that has the right to be selfish, you guys understand that? He could be selfish and be perfectly correct, but he didn't. He put his needs aside for Bobby. He put his needs aside for each one of us. And he did that in obedience. And what do we get out of it? Look at verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted him, bestowed him on the name, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He did this, and because of Jesus. Uh, being able to put his interests aside, he gets the name above every name that for all eternity, all generations, all people will be praising the name of Jesus. That's what this is about. That there will be multitudes from every language, from every tribe and nation and tongue around his throne praising him because he was willing to do this. He died for you and me and we have to be willing. If Jesus can put aside his, uh, I won't say his divine nature, but if he will come and, and join up with humanity and take on a human nature to go with his divine nature and go through all the weaknesses that entails, even to death, we can put up with some annoyances, can't we? We can put up with different color taste and what the carpet should look like or those kind of things. Because Jesus was willing to do it with his whole life. One last verse I want to read this morning. Look at verse 14. He continues this line of conversation. Verse 14, he says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, as I have called you to come together, be family together, be of the same mind, be united in spirit and purpose, put your self-interest aside, look out for the interests of your brothers and sisters and the family. As I've called you to do all that, do it without complaining or arguing. Isn't that the conclusion we get there? And that is so hard because uh, you guys remember what happened in, in Egypt, right? 
they come out of the wilderness and over and over again, God has given them so much and they just keep grumbling and complaining. And the scripture is telling us here, look, don't do that. Be thankful. We're supposed to come and, and do this without complaining or arguing. And listen, we have business meetings. We need to do it without complaining or arguing. When we have things to discuss, even things that are hard, we need to do it by putting the other person's interest in front of our own. Uh, I could give you so many illustrations of this, but uh, think about how many churches have split over music. Well, I want newer music. Well, I want hymns. And what you begin to realize is, and listen, there's some qualifications in there. <laughs> Let me throw that out. There's some music I certainly don't agree with in church. And I happen to like congregational hymns. I want to hear you sing. But listen, some of that becomes style. Has nothing to do with the lyrics. Nothing to do with the message. And sometimes it goes, well, I want this. Another person says, I want this. But you hear what the, the common word there is? I and they begin to split over it, and it becomes something so simple. We're here, he's just telling us, look, I want you to be of the same mind. We have one job to do, bring glory to Jesus. And we're going to do that as a church, and we're going to work together towards common goals. And if we're going to do that, we have to have the same mind, to be united in love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do we rightly think of ourselves do we put to death the sin of selfishness? Do we consider the interests and good of other fellow believers? And do we do it, as Paul says, without grumbling and complaining? Do it with joy instead. Forest Heights Baptist Church, if we're to be a church committed to fellowship, we must have this attitude in ourselves. Divisions and schemes are enemies, are, divisions and schisms are, are the schemes of the enemy. The devil is waiting and we must be on the alert, the altar is open today, and here's what I'm going to say to that. If you need to come, kneel, and confess your sin to God today, do it. Because there might be times where you have harbored hatred in your heart for a brother and sister. And maybe you need to go to that brother or sister and make things right. Don't let old divisions and arguments creep up in this fellowship, because those things always have a way of returning. We're a community called to be a family together, we need one another, and Christ has commanded it. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have an invitation. But come. Father, this message in some ways is so joyous, but so hard. Would you help us, Father, to, to humbly see our neighbor as better than ourselves, to not just, uh, but to, to love them and to seek their good. Father, I pray, even as we think about this text, convict us where we've been selfish. Convict us where there's old grievances and sin harboring our hearts. Father, don't let Satan come in and use that. Father, I pray that today we'd come and we would confess our sins before you, that we would make it right between brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, would you strengthen this community of faith, this fellowship, because we desperately need you and we desperately need one another. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.